0: now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Michelle Freed, former producer for Art Bell's Midnight in the Desert. Michelle is also a graduate of the Alternative Practitioner Academy, completed advanced training through her International School of Clairvoyance, fully certified in all forms of controlled remote viewing. She has research related to remote viewing and parapsychology published in the Journal of Psychical Research, and she works on special remote viewing projects with the Institute of Noetic Science. Michelle has also appeared in the documentary Third Eye Spies and on an episode of Ancient Aliens. And we have Michelle here today on the program. Michelle, thank you so much for being my guest and welcome.
1: Thank you. And thank you for having me. I hope you had a great weekend, Christmas weekend.
0: I did. Thank you. How was yours?
1: Good. We just kind of chilled out.
0: Mm-hmm. Any big plans for New Year's?
1: Yeah, we're going to get together with family and and watch. We actually converted um, VHS home movies Mm -hmm. onto video. So we're going to just like, you know, eat junk food and watch those videos.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah. We usually stay in and and especially with nowadays, we're definitely staying in. And then Saturday night is the New Year's Day and Saturdays I do my, my open live Zoom show. And so it's time to get people's predictions and New Year's resolutions for the year.
1: Oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah. And then, what do you review the year before, like well, people predict it? Predict
0: well, the, it? sorry to interrupt you. I ha, this is my first year doing it, so hopefully next year oh. we can review.
1: Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's a great idea. I love that.
0: Thanks. How did you get started in all these studies of the paranormal and parapsychology?
1: I don't remember what year. Like in the 2010, maybe um, I decided to take my kids for the summer on a road trip across all of the United States. And in that trip, I ended up reconnecting with a friend from high school. And um, she has written three books on psych- psychic development. Her name is Deborah Lynn Katz. And she, when we met, she's like, you know, Michelle, you got to take my class. And I'm like, oh, come on. You have to be born with it. And she said, no, everybody, everybody's psychic. You know, everybody has intuition. Just take my class. So I said, fine. And I took her class. And I just, you know, because I see myself as a skeptical believer. And uh, I just got to a point where I couldn't explain away things that were happening. You know, I'm like. You know, I think there's something to be said about having an experience because when you tell people about these things, um, it's really hard to, you know, communicate how that experience goes. But if you help them have their own experience, then they get it. And I think that's what happened to me, and that's really my mission is to really um, take people kind of on this journey to have their own experience so I don't have to necessarily prove it You know, we do a lot of research for um, scientists and things like that uh, but along with that I'm always encouraging these scientists and the people we speak to to uh, especially with remote viewing um, I encourage them to sit down and do it so that they know what it feels like
0: So was her class a class in remote viewing or just maybe clairvoyance or something like that?
1: Yeah, so it started out in clairvoyance, but then it kind of blended into remote viewing. So it was my very first uh, experience remote viewing, and um, you I didn't really even I never even heard of it Um, but she kind of gave us an introduction that this kind of remote viewing is basically what the military did in the 1970s and they put a whole protocol together and she was uh, guiding us through an exercise and I did really well and I really felt like I resonated with it because of my personality I like having that structure. And you do a lot of things with pen and paper, and you follow kind of phases, phase one, phase two, and it kind of goes along. And I really liked that idea of it. I also had evidence that I can hold in my hand. There's other people that do a type or a form of remote viewing where they're just in their head and they're experiencing, you know, somebody's location or something like that. Um, And that is kind of a different form, but the form that I was trained in is more of, uh, you know, using pen and paper and following a, a protocol that was created by our military.
0: So if you give us a little remote viewing for dummies, are you basically uh, just concentrating your consciousness and 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 focusing on a person or a place and seeing if you can like astrally project there or or see that place?
1: So basically, um, what I also love about it is that it's kind of rooted in science. So you're completely blind to a target. So you might have a. Um, I, like the project, the manager, and then the viewer. The manager will come up with an idea um, of, of a location that they want you to view, for example. Say it's um, the pyramids in Egypt. He, but you the viewer doesn't know that. So it's kind of like they put on a piece of paper, pyramids in, in Giza, you know, the, the pyramids. And then they give it a random number, just any kind of number they put on there and the manager will just give the viewer a number. The viewer has a whole protocol that they follow but the first thing it's kind of set and connected by intention. If you imagine that that number could almost be like a phone number that you dial up to make a connection. So you kind of set this intention that you're going to project your consciousness to this location and then describe it and then you follow this protocol that we're given and um it, and it's miraculous how you get so close to whatever this location is the issue um a lot of people will come to me and say things like well if you can do that why why can't you you know win the lottery or something like that well it's because we aren't perfect at it and we have to figure out a way to take our right brain and our left brain and learn how to deal with them together because when we're doing some kind of... Um, You know, we're using our right brain when we're remote viewing and the right brain we know is tapped into the subconscious and it uses symbols and metaphors and and feelings. And your left brain wants to make sense of everything. So, for example, if I told you that I wanted you to view an object and you were getting something that's red and shiny and round, your left brain would automatically say, "Oh, it's an apple," but what if the target is actually a fire truck, which is red and shiny and round? So we have to learn to overcome um, this kind of this, you know, overcome that left brain wanting to hijack your session. So we deal a lot with that. So our sessions are very um, symbolic and and, but it'll have like. You know you can have a structure in there that looks like a triangle and you call it a man-made structure and it's a triangle and it's associated with the number which happens to be the pyramid so that's the kind of session that's what it would look like and Joe McMoneagle I'm not sure if you know him but He was one of the main uh, guys uh, that worked on the first team, and he would always say that in order to be a world-class remote viewer, you have to give up what it is to be human. And what it is to be human is that everything needs to make sense, and we're looking for certainty. And in in reality, things don't make sense, and you, you know what do they say what's that joke they say the only thing certain is taxes Mm -hmm. and death yeah so so we're dealing with this whole world of uncertainty and we're trying to figure out how to make this something we can rely on so that's basically i guess a little snapshot of remote viewing
0: so have you been able to make that leap
1: Sometimes um, it's, you know, I'm working on it all the time. I do sessions all the time. And sometimes I don't figure out my sessions until much later, Um, along uh, before the 2020 Olympics, we were hired by Homeland Security and they wanted us to look at the top threats for the Olympics in Japan. But we did not know, number one, we were double blind in this because um, my teacher um, was contacted. So we, he said, I have a project, but I can't tell you who's hiring us and I can't tell you what the project is. But here's your number. So um, we just had a number to work with. And so I did this whole session and I was getting um, things like images of what I perceived as some kind of chaos like weather chaos it, it seemed like structures being broken down and piles of debris and just a lot of chaos and then it kind of switched into um, images of um, computers and I was getting um, some kind of virus and the computers and things like that and so I just handed in my session and sometimes we don't get feedback so we don't know how well we did and obviously um, 2020 Olympics didn't happen Um, and what I figured out about a year and a half into the pandemic when I looked at that session I was like wait my left brain again said computer virus because we weren't really thinking like any other virus Um, It was an actual virus virus. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't put two and two together till way after. So that was a top threat of the Olympics. So that's kind of how it worked in that. So that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And I think it's amazing that Homeland Security reached out to you guys in the first place.
1: Yep. Um, And a lot of people don't want to admit that they're working with remote viewers. You know, we have clients um, that work with the government in different areas of the government. We have clients that are businessmen that want us to look at financials, um, the stock market. We have... um, all sorts of people and then of course um detectives that are looking for missing people and uh, so we work on that and sometimes i'll get hired by people who um are missing something like uh, recently a lady lost a bracelet um and i didn't know it was a bracelet but um we were helping her find uh her bracelet and she was willing to pay us to, because it was very valuable so um so it is, you know, I really would like that remote viewing because it has so many purposes. I would really like people to be using it in their everyday life to make decisions because you can decide, um, you know, maybe you're offered a job in two different states and you can't decide which to take you can remote view it and get your answer if you personally want to know somebody targeted me with a question again i didn't know but they said what Uh, the question the secret question was what foods should michelle stay away from and uh, i was getting some kind of images you know that dna thing where the 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 lines loop I was getting DNA and GMOs and some squishy looking thing that reminded me of a mushroom and all this stuff. And I it was weird because then when I saw the question, I was like, oh, I, I need to stay away from GMOs. Well, mm-hmm. duh. Mm-hmm. And, you know, things like that. So um, it does. It answers your questions. So um, and I like the fact that we're blind to what the question is, because then we don't have a bias with, you know, with the answer.
0: Have you remote viewed anything upcoming in 2022 that we can be aware of?
1: No, but I'm going to be doing that tomorrow with my class. Um, I also teach remote viewing and um, we're going to be doing that tomorrow in class. So, yeah,
0: after becoming a remote viewer, how did your world view change on things like consciousness and out of being out of body and life after death and things like that?
1: I think, you know, I learned a lot of personal lessons about remote viewing. Um, one uh, lesson, one is our our potential that we don't really see. You know, we we dismiss a lot of things that happen throughout our lives. And I feel like um, there's something about this, this word and the, the meaning of intention, and it's kind of connected to manifestation. And I feel like this is like, to me, it's like, whoa, because I feel like a lot of times throughout my life, i'm getting a lot of the answers i seek but if i'm not paying attention i just dismiss them so remote viewing you know just going through the training which is kind of like a martial art um allows me to pay attention to these little kind of floaty bits of information that kind of come in. And instead of just going, eh, I don't know what that is, or nah, I don't know, um, I pay attention now. And it kind of sets me up um, for the direction that I need to go. And I, I actually use a little image, like a imagery, and I picture um, like a little train on the track. And I feel like when things are going smooth and great and that train's just kind of chugging along on the track. But then when I uh, feel like something's off and I look at my little train, it's been derailed and this is where I start paying more attention. and that's how you get your train back on the track to keep to keep going. And that train is kind of aligned with you know your your path, your heart and your path and your you know how you feel like where you should be going. So that's like one really big lesson that I learned from this whole process.
0: I had a previous guest on before, a remote viewer, and he mentioned something about he was going to remote view Sasquatch. He was either going to or had to. Have you remote viewed Bigfoot? And if so, what did you see?
1: I did. I uh, I have a partner I work with, and uh, we were. he was monitoring me and um and a monitor has to be very care- ha- really good and very careful because it can't lead you and um so my secret target was actually the um what was it the the Gimlin um Patterson uh, video footage um are you familiar with that no
0: that? i'm not i mean i may have seen it but i don't know the name of it
1: yeah it's pretty popular it's like this um, it's like this Bigfoot that's walking and then turns back and keeps walking. It's pretty famous. And it really, there are a lot of people that try to debunk it, but it hasn't really been effectively debunked yet. So my secret question, again, I didn't know what I was looking at, was to determine if this, this footage is a hoax or the real thing. And so I was doing my session, and, and my, um, my partner's like tough. And he says, okay. And I was getting uh, my first impressions that were coming in was a female. And I noticed right away that this female was humongous. And I, my left brain kept coming in and saying, oh, it must be like a basketball player or something, something really like a, a very large female. And my subconscious and my left brain were kind of fighting a little because I wanted to change my answer to a male. But I kept saying, no, no, it feels female. I I think it's female. And so he says, okay, stand up. And I want you to, you know, kind of blend with this subject and, you know, kind of feel your, your body and, and describe what you're, you know what you're sensing so i you know i started touching my arm and i'm like oh god my arm it's like i felt my hand going further like my arm is only this long but i felt like i had to go further like this bone in this arm seemed very humongous and i'm so tempted to change over to male but something just didn't let me i felt very hairy and then I was feeling, you know, just a lot of hair, and and I was getting this kind of images, like a dream within a dream was kind of playing out in my mind's eye of kind of uh, uh, some primitive. And I think I was starting to go, this must be Bigfoot. I bet my target's Bigfoot. But you're not supposed to, like, in remote viewing, you can't kind of hook on to that, even though you know, you're feeling very strong about it. You have to just kind of set that aside and just keep going on describing and just like the apple that I described. But finally, I just got to a point where I'm like, this is Bigfoot and it's a female. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that was it. And um, the thing about the Patterson-Gimlin is that a lot of people believe that it is a female. And so because I was so strong in that, I feel very strongly that that was not a hoax. I feel like that is real. And then I met, I met Bob Gimlin in real life and I just like, there's a sincerity about him. I just can't imagine him holding on to a lie this long. He just seems like a genuine person. And I told him my story and he he was amused by that. Um, But yeah, I definitely feel like that was a real, real thing
0: do you think that bigfoot is from the earth or do you think it's an extraterrestrial
1: i don't know i have to remote view that i never went further with it um i know there's a lot of people that think that this is some kind of you know something that blinks in and blinks out um through portals and Mm -hmm. i know there's you know i have um uh, Mount Shasta up in California I had a dream I remote viewed with a dream um, so meaning that before I went to sleep I had a target number and I told myself with the intention dream about this target and it was a portal at Mount Shasta and there were things coming in and out of it in my dream and then when I woke up I just kind of wrote it on paper so um, Yeah, it was... I don't know. It's possible. I can't say yes or no, but Mm -hmm. it could be possible.
0: Have you ever remote viewed things in space, like alien ships or extraterrestrials or anything?
1: Yeah. You know the um, Tic Tac? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So somebody gave me that as a target, and... Um, It was interesting because my session, they said later, reminded them a lot of Bob Lazar's Mm. um, reports of the his UFO that he saw. There were a lot of similarities um, and I had no clue what the details were. Of his, I just kind of knew a basic idea. But my remote viewing was literally, and I'm not an engineer at all, but I was drawing, I think I described it as a hamburger shape with um, three levels. And I started describing some kind of energetic mechanical things going on on the bottom level mm-hmm. and then um, some stuff on the middle level. I think it was... I'm remembering now it was some kind of panel that went all around it and then there was something way up on top. So um, it was very interesting Mm. that there were a lot of similarities in in the two things.
0: What about Skinny Bob?
1: So Skinny Bob, um, this is a very, um, this is a YouTube video that I'm not sure was it in the 90s I think in the 90s somebody mysteriously uh, put it on YouTube and nobody knows where it came from but they think it was somebody from Russia um, that uploaded it and what it shows is this um, alien looking subject and with a really big head and very skinny kind of body and arms and I think it's covered like in a turtleneck and And a lot of people are fascinated by this video because um, they're not sure when it was created. And there's, you know, on both sides, there are people trying to debunk it and there's people trying to um, prove it back and forth. Um, And so we decided just for kicks and giggles, like, let's just remote view it. Um, And it was interesting because I really was getting... I don't know if it was an alien or a person in a costume. I don't know. But I was definitely picking up some emotions and um, a feeling of loneliness and feeling like this subject felt left behind. It was very strong. I think I remember having some tears in my eyes when I was doing the session, just, you know, empathy. And it just felt like a lonely, a lonely soul. And, um, so, but I, I just, you know, I, I never felt sure if it was real or a hoax. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what I was tapping into. So I, I don't have a, a for sure answer on that one.
0: When you're remote viewing, do you ever come across feelings of self doubt? And if so, how do you handle that?
1: Yeah, sometimes when you first start, you feel like you're making things up, you know, and that's the thing. Like my students are constantly like, I feel like I'm making it up, but I think that because of the intention and the way that the protocol is put together, um, there's a lot of things to kind of double check everything. Mm -hmm. So number one is the fact that you are blind to the question. um, And then if you're doing the same session as other people, and then you have data in your session that's lining up with people that kind of reinforces you know wait if i got you know like i gave the example with the pyramid so Mm -hmm. you know i drew a man-made structure that's triangular um and then somebody else drew something like that on their session and they live in california and i live in chicago and i didn't see their session that kind of means something that two people got same the same information. So I think that going into remote viewing, you have to be, you know, okay with failure. You know, we, call, we like to set aside at the beginning of our session fear of failure. And we just kind of, all right, so just go in and have a good time, hmm. you know, and you get what you get and see what happens.
0: Hmm, that's great. Now I believe you're also trained in hypnotherapy. Is that true?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Have you ever hypnotized anybody and they've been on another planet or in contact with extraterrestrials?
1: I had um, this a weird experience that happened where, um, when a course of, I would say, like nine months or something three separate individuals in three different places one i think was in canada one was in illinois and one was in california they none of them knew each other and they all came at different times within i think like nine months or something and they came and they said hey i think i was uh, abducted and i wondered if you can regress me because i want to know what happened to me and so I always go into a hypnosis session kind of like saying to myself, I know nothing. Um, I don't want to prejudge it, I don't want whatever. But what I noticed, and I, I used to take good records, you know, I think we were talking about that earlier. Mm-hmm. Every client, I, I had to write notes all the time. So, um, so each one of them had uh, similar experience. They all came to me because I believe they were abducted. And what was really weird is that all three of them described the same lo- like place. They they all said they were on a different they felt like they were on a different planet and that they were breathing water they lived like it was a water planet Mm. and they were living in the water and breathing it they they were describing what it was like to breathe in water and then the nature um, around them there were like plants and things like this that lived in the water and creatures that they've never seen before and they had a hard time finding vocabulary to describe these locate these areas Um, and they also brought up colors colors that they never experienced before and they had a hard time you know and they were in trance too so they could not come up with a vocabulary to describe the colors but they did their best in you know um, trying to discuss like a shade of pink and a shade of Something you know that they, they tried to, but they, they couldn't quite. Um, they kept saying it's, it's, I'm saying this, but it's not really like it, describing it. So, um, that was really weird because, um, three people they don't know each other, and in the course of nine months, and then since then, I've never gotten a call again. So, um, it was interesting, <laughs> definitely.
0: It's so amazing because. Before you mentioned the water planet, if you hadn't gone there, I was going to ask you, have you ever heard of the water planet? Because I've had two, at least two near-death experiencers during their experience wind up on a water planet. No. Yeah, seriously.
1: I'm getting like goosebumps. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. <gasps> Whoa. I think also, you know, we should put a ca- ca- call out to anyone listening to the show because I would love to, maybe we could just like collect all this data mm-hmm. and, and build something, you know, like figure this out.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That's
1: amazing. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, I mean, that is. I mean, have you ever regressed a near-death experiencer?
1: Not um well, no, not a near-death experiencer, but people that have had um, kind of phobias and and things like that. Where I would take them to a past life. Some people wanted to do it for fun, so we you know put them in a past life. Sometimes I'm going to talk about remote viewing again. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I mix the two, and I will put a secret question for my students, like go to a past life that was important that you learned a very important lesson that you want to bring back to this life. And then they do a session and they get this profound information from mm-hmm. it. So there's a lot of fun stuff that you can do.
0: I just had an idea as we got a new target for you, remote viewing the water planet.
1: Yeah, that's, I'm writing it down right now. Yeah. The water planet.
0: Maybe you can present that in your class and see what they'll come I up
1: think, with. Yeah, that would be so cool because... Yeah. Um, And I'd like to, you know, I'm going to go back to these people that I um, worked with and see if we can kind of like after we get you know, the students to put something together because they sketch things too. You don't have to be a good artist, but you know, I'm just stick figures, but Mm -hmm. at least like having some kind of sketches might help people that remember. Um, that would be really cool. Mm -hmm. I like that.
0: So is it easy for people to learn how to remote view?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, the hard part is, um, really just uh balancing that left brain right brain because the left brain can hijack that session and you know if you're getting um you know this apple then everything after the apple then you start getting a banana and then you start thinking it's a fruit basket, you know, and you, you have to be really careful that you don't build on one thing that you get. You have to just be open and let your right brain lead you. And that's probably the hardest part, but it's just about practice. You know, the more you practice, you get used to it and all that.
0: So so what I think you're saying is you just got to describe what you see. You can't come up with what you're actually seeing. You can't take it to that step and say it's a banana or whatever. You just have to describe what you see and leave it at that.
1: Right. Describe, don't name. Right. And so we also tell people to engage in their senses because what we know um, is that our senses are more accurate than our left brain just you know naming things um i can't remember his name doctor um i have to find out his name but he did a lot of scientific experiments where he um took a bunch of college students and loaded up a whole bunch of photos on a computer program and he hooked them up to you know their blood pressure and and um their brain activity and all that stuff and all their job was is to advance you know keep pushing enter and looking at the pictures that presented and what he did was he stuck in some you know uh you know, kind of sexy pictures and, you know, different kinds of, you know, pictures that might kind of excite people or, you know, anything like that. So what he found is that people were reacting to a picture before they saw it. Hmm. So say they'd be looking at a tree and then they're just about to advance and then it's a lady in a bra and their, their heart, skipped a beat and their body um kind of reacted before the picture came out and so it's not surprising because when we were primitive we needed to use those instincts when we were hunting and gathering and things like that we had to use that sense you know like now how many times do we go outside and smell if the rain's gonna come Mm -hmm. you know we just look at our weather app and um, but we don't use those things anymore you know our smell in remote viewing we we kind of wake up all those things that we haven't been using for many years and it just makes you more sensitive and open and and um, you know it, it it may make you feel like you're more psychic but you're just regular psychic. It's just that you haven't been using those things, you know. Hmm. Um, A lot of times we say, what does your gut tell you? Well, listen to your gut, you know. Um, Listen to your heart. Listen to your gut. So uh, those things are there for a reason.
0: What is the strangest thing that you've ever remote viewed?
1: I had a weird experience when I was remote viewing where um, I was just kind of, we were. We like to experiment a lot. So what we did in this kind of experiment was we decided that normally what we do is we pick a target and give it a number and then give the viewer the number. But this time we're like, I wonder what will happen if we don't pick the target first, we just get a number. With the intention that we'll match it up with the target later. And then we'll just pull a target out of a hat. We'll just put like 20 targets in a hat. It could be anything in the whole world. And we'll just make up a number and just pick it out and then assign the target to it. So at the time that we were viewing, there was no nothing picked. But the idea is that you're going into the future, right? You're peeking into the future to whatever the target is going to be which is pretty cool. Um, and I think, so when I was doing my session, I noticed at a certain point towards the end phases, that little voice in my head, you know, we have that little voice that kind of like our Jiminy Cricket that, that whisper in our, you know, that talks to us kind of, um, so that voice where it just like normal, it started changing and it, kind of the sound of the voice got deeper and it felt like it was like starting to tell me what to do instead of, you know, just being like Jiminy Cricket. So I'm like, what is that? You know, and I stopped my session because I felt like it was kind of, kind of hijacking my session and telling me something to do. So I told my friend, I'm like, yeah, this weird thing happened. I wasn't scared or anything like that. It was just weird that this like kind of baritone voice that was my voice kind of changed and started hijacking my session. And he said, well, you know, talk to it. And I'm like, okay. And so I I didn't get a chance to go back to the session and talk to it. Um, but it was me and two others, and we all met because we're going to pick the target now. So the the guy picked the target, and the target turned out to be a UFO um, that, um, you know, a UFO that, that will visit, that will visit you, or something like that. And I'm like, whoa, that's weird, because, you know, I had probably a picture of a UFO. I don't remember what my session was about, but... Um, So then we said, all right, why don't we all go to sleep tonight and then remote view um, who was talking to Michelle? Hmm. Let's remote view who that was or what it was or whatever. And we're all like, "Okay, sure. So we left the meeting and then I woke up in the morning and well, I had trouble sleeping. And at a certain point, I felt like I was falling backwards in darkness And then when I woke up in the morning, I felt like I was drugged, you know, like when you wake up from Mm -hmm. surgery, it felt like that. And then the heat in my body went whoosh and just kind of left my body. I felt this thing. And I called on my friend, I'm like, Okay, this weird thing happened to me. I don't know what it is. And he's like, yeah, I had something similar and I don't know what it was, but yeah, something's up here. I think we were visited. And so we called the other person and she's like, oh man, you can't count on me. She's like, I was smoking weed before I went to bed. So I was knocked out like the light. So we couldn't really count on her. But, um, you know, we felt like maybe we were visited or something because we had a shared experience. And um, maybe he was trying to keep, you know, because you do kind of open up a kind of a a communication when you're remote viewing. And we are very conscious to uh, make sure that we are always remote viewing anything benevolent. And we also um, surround ourselves with protection.
0: Mm, Interesting.
1: So, yeah.
0: Very interesting. So let me ask you this. Since you don't name it, you just gather data. And for example, you gathered all this data about the 2020 Olympics and you pass all your data along to Homeland Security. What do they do? Do they just look at all your data and try to name it themselves or or what?
1: Yeah, I mean, we um, I don't know in this particular project what they did with it, um, but but on projects where I'm working with the people like usually missing people, um, they will take our information. And like, for example, uh, one project I did where we, it was a missing person, they were able to take my session and triangulate an area because they knew the area. I didn't, and there's a um, there's a section in remote viewing called mapping, where um, where you can kind of figure out certain landmarks, and so I did that. And what they did was um, they took um, three things that I talked about in my session, and then they took that and put it on a map, and they looked for a place on them which is hard work because they're looking for a place that has you know a rock a shack looking structure and water and they had to find and line it up in this area that they were looking in and they were able to triangulate this area and they did find the body and i worked on that with several other people unfortunately i knew when i started that session i just didn't feel life in in the subject and um and unfortunate i was getting i had i was a little off on my stuff like i got a mail and i had an image of a bird's eye view looking down on the subject so i knew the position or you know i perceived a position there was like blood like on the forehead um And then there was a rock like right next, like a big huge boulder next to him. And there was a body of water and then it was a foresty area. And then there was a path that led to some kind of dilapidated shack building that looked like it was kind of broken down. And um, what actually happened was this was a college student that got drunk at the shack, it was actually a bar and then walked down the path and took out a boat, and the boat capsized and hit, hit him in the head and he died. So I, I didn't have him in the water. I had him outside the water by a rock. Um, so the rock must have been the boat maybe, I don't know. So I I got things backwards and kind of confused, but um, it was a very helpful, you know, getting that information, they can kind of extrapolate important things because the person that assigned it to us, they know more than I do. And so they're able to line things up and Mm -hmm. figure things out.
0: I want to get in one more question about remote viewing and especially since you said that you only remote view benevolent things and basically are there things that you shouldn't be remote viewing and have you ever done it even though you weren't supposed to be doing it
1: no i i pretty i i stay very um i i no i don't want to go there i i don't um, I don't see there's just so much good that you could do um, with benevolence and and I always want to have a purpose of it um, and uh, we also have something called um, remote healing and that is another area that we use to help heal people but we're also always asking for permission and I think that you know something's going on with these things we're not sure how they work but we know they work because we have evidence of that working um so you don't i don't want to play around with it you know i want to um use it in a purposeful way and a way to help people and you know that's my decision
0: all right i'm going to switch gears on you You used to be the producer for Art Bell's Midnight in the Desert. My show is inspired by Art Bell's radio show, and I even have Art's old um, voiceover guy doing the voiceover for my show, Ross Mitchell. How did you get involved with working with art?
1: I I thought I recognized when I listened to one of your shows I heard that deep voice I'm like wait that sounds so familiar mm-hmm. that's fantastic um so when um so what happened was I was I guess it's a little personal but I was going through a divorce and I was an at-home mom for a long time and I decided that Um, I had to work and my background's in marketing and I was in remote viewing and hypnotherapy and I had a lot of friends that had books and so I decided um, I'm going to try to get my friends on radio shows and you know my motto is always you know go big or go home and so I saw our bell show and I thought go big or go home in fact I think I may have put that in the subject line, go big or go home. And so I, I reached out. I made a big pitch for somebody. And I got one of the producers at the time called me up, and we talked for an hour. And he, he loved my guest, and he said, we'll get back to you. I'll, I'll talk to who's doing the hosting right now and, and see if they, they'll get back to you. So I'm like, okay, cool. So about a month later, I get a call from, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Heather Wade. So Heather, she was hosting when Art was kind of taking a break. So she took over because he was, you know, becoming a little bit more ill and couldn't do all the shows. So she called me up and she said, Oh my gosh, I love your guy. I'm so sorry. You know, we didn't call you sooner, but I lost my producer. And I'm like, huh? Uh, And I don't know what possessed me, but I just said, hire me. That's all I said. Uh And she's like, huh? You know, and we're like, okay. And so she, she said, let's try you out for a week. And I said, okay. And so I had a lot of friends. I booked two weeks of shows and three days. And, um, art told Heather, You better hire her because she's good. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I I got the job. And I started in uh, 2000, I think, 15 or 16, somewhere in there. I'm not good with uh, years. Mm -hmm. And so um, I got a really good education for sure.
0: Did you ever go out to Pahrump and meet with Art?
1: You know, I, I... planned it. I had a a remote viewing conference in in Las Vegas. The whole plan, I was going to go there. And then um, he had the stomach flu. Mm. And so my whole thing got canceled. But, um, but so I never met him in person. But um, oh, well, it's, you know, but I, yeah, I I wish I would have met him in person. That would have been cool. But um
0: were you yeah. on were you on the phone with him on a weekly basis like talking to him about booking he, guests and such?
1: Right so he would you know give a lot of advice and you know tell me like one thing he said to me was like you know go you know how you find guests that you know, You want to go to, like, local newspapers and local cities and towns and find an article written about a weird story. That's how you find, you know, these stories that come out. And this was, like... The internet was kind of taking off and stuff, but people still were making articles in local papers and stuff like that um, so that's where I would find some some of the people that have never been on any other show before because I was kind of you know looking under rocks for you know crazy stories hmm. and things like that so that was that was pretty interesting
0: so you would just get on the internet and and how would you how would you google that? small town story or
1: yeah so i would look for local papers and um you know i would get names of them like there's um uh like they're local like to the town like the um like i'm trying to think of what they have in chicago I don't even think they're in business anymore, but they had like, you know, the city of Buffalo Grove newspaper mm-hmm. and they would have articles about people in the town that were interesting. Um, You know, some people would be like, oh, I saw a UFO. And then I go and try to locate that person, get their number and call them. Um, There were a lot of times where people reached out to me mm-hmm. and told me the craziest stories. And then I had to make a decision like... Is that like too crazy or, you know, because some of them were like, um, yeah, they were like, whew, yeah, way out there. One guy, I don't know if you've heard of this, but this is like probably the craziest thing that happened to me. Um, this guy calls me up. I guess he wrote a book and made like a mini documentary about how he and a dolphin named Dolly were in love.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that didn't go on the air. You no. Know. But I, you know, can't erase it from my mind. <laughs> he had pictures and everything. Wow. So yeah, that was weird. I got really weird stuff, you know. People kinda come out of the woodwork. Um Yeah, very interesting.
0: Well, how did you draw the line between what would and what would not work for art?
1: Um, like i think i started to get a feeling of what he liked um so i think what it like he was open to almost anything to be honest but it had to be someone that could tell their story and for two or three hours so i mean that's what it really came down to it wasn't really like The content so much as long as you know the person could speak in sentences and tell their story Mm -hmm. and those were kind of things i i would do a pre-interview and find out like can they hold a story together but really like oh i felt like the dolphin thing was inappropriate so that definitely not and then there were um there was a list of things that he said he would not like he never wanted to talk to psychics and mm. he never wanted to talk to Chandler. Chandler. Interesting. Those. Those. No way. He would never let that go on.
0: Do you know so, why?
1: I never got a really good answer about it. To be, I, I never got a good answer. It was just kind of no. Um, mm. I don't. I don't really know. I think. I don't know actually. Mm. I probably should have pressed on it, but I just said, oh, okay. you know, he wasn't somebody who would like, oh, so why? <laughs> yeah. You know, he wasn't, he, you know, our calls were just like, but, 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 he was tough. He was tough. Wow. So,
0: can you give us a little more about what he was like behind the scenes?
1: He was very serious about his work. Um he was a very strong personality. He he liked things a, a specific way. Mm-hmm. Um and he was a stickler for the sound check. And um, you know, this was a period of time where um, you know, everything was about landlines, you yeah. know, and um it can only be a landline. And then we finally convinced him maybe we can use Skype and um All right. So he got on board with Skype. But then towards a very, very tail end where I was kind of learning that cell phones were even better than landlines. But he was kind of just stuck in this old, you know, this old, he didn't really like to change so quick, you know, Mm. um, with that stuff.
0: Well, he had millions of listeners and so many people loved him. What do you think what was it about him that made people love him?
1: I think it was because he let, he let, he gave people the place to tell their story and he was not judgmental and he just kind of let them go. And he knew, he knew what questions that his listeners wanted to know from the guest. He knew he just had a knack for that. He, he just kind of, Maybe he had intuition that he knew what people wanted to know. And people just, they would give up their story to him. Because I think um, he created a community. Because I, I know that through the years that I worked there and the people that have called me, I just always felt so bad for them because they couldn't tell these stories to their family and friends. People would think they're crazy and to a point where they started to think they're crazy like did i really see a ufo or was i really abducted and you know and so they start second guessing themselves and i feel like art kind of paved this way to create this kind of um society i don't know what we could call it but this kind of venue or whatever where people can really share these um these stories and what they're going through and then learn from other people hey that happened to me too and 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 they build a kind of friendship and you know there's something going on i'm sure there's something going on and um and it's i think it's just really great that he was you know, really, I think he had to be brave to talk about a lot of these subjects on the air. And at him having millions and millions of listeners meant that people were ready to hear it. So mm. um, and now it just blew up. There's so many shows and, and things like that, where people are really getting more comfortable to talk about these things.
0: Are you at liberty to tell us about his illness, his health, and how he died.
1: I don't want to get into any of the controversy. I'd, I'd like to stay away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that you know he had COPD, probably from smoking, and um, he was on oxygen. Like nobody really even told me. In fact, I sometimes wonder if that's why they didn't want me to see him. Um, but he was on oxygen for quite a while and i think that's why he couldn't do a show because he would have trouble talking and breathing Mm -hmm. and things like that and uh the day that he passed um keith who owns a network or owned the network at the time called me and let me know and it, it was just really sad it was just you know like wow It was surreal. It was hard to believe, you know, Mm -hmm. even though I knew he was ill, I just, I guess I didn't know how ill he was, you know.
0: Right, right. All right, well, before we go, you mentioned that you have remote viewing classes. If people want to find out about those classes, do you have a website?
1: I do. Um, It's called ButterflyEffectCenter.com and um, there's a page on remote viewing. My next Classes start January 22nd, and um, yeah, and there's like a, you can fill out the contact form if you have any questions or anything like that um, about the class or what you're going to learn or anything like that, I would love. And if anybody um, has stories about that world underwater, Mm. I would love them to contact me because I'd like to put something together with that. That would be Really cool.
0: If I, you know, I, I've done so, I've done probably about 200 NDE podcasts, so it's hard for me to remember who did what. I have a feeling I can remember one, but if they come to me, I'll send them to you.
1: Oh, I would love that. That would be so great. Yeah. Because, I mean, got, so far, you're we're talking, I had three, you're talking about two, that's five. Mm-hmm come on, there's got to be more people that had some kind of weird experience like that. So hopefully they'll contact me and and we can, you know, put this all together. It would be really amazing.
0: After watching this program, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? And if so, how do they do that?
1: Um, Through the um, Mm -hmm. um, ButterflyEffectCenter.com, there's a form. Just fill out that form and I get back to you right away.
0: Okay, all right, well, before we finish, can you leave us with one last positive message?
1: A positive message mm-hmm. well trust trust yourself, trust your intuition um and don't dismiss all these little um messages that are coming coming into you um because they're there' there's Something trying to let you know your right path, and the more you listen to that and and follow it and keep your train on the track, um, I feel like your life will be effortless and smooth.
0: Well, thank you for that message, and Michelle, thank you so much for being my guest. I really appreciate you, and I wish you massive success with your class.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, have a wonderful evening.